Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode of Esports Boom, your weekly esports business podcast. Uh, my name is Maurice Eisenman, and this week I'm joined by a very special guest. I'm joined by Nathan Limberg, the director of global sponsorship at Twitch. I've been trying to get Nathan on for quite a little bit, but I'm happy that I'm finally able to catch him. Uh, Nathan, how are you? Good, man. Well, you offered me uh, craft beer, so how could I say no? Yeah, we're drinking some trogues and some single cuts, so I'm always excited. Um, and um, you guys might hear a little bit of background noise, but that's just that, the DIY situation that we're recording right now. So um, The fine ambiance of New York City, as exactly, they like to say. Exactly. So let's get right into the first story. Um, happens to have to do with Twitch. So what this story got reported last week, mm-hmm. um, we uh, I thought it was particularly important to save it for this week since I knew you were coming. So Twitch, obviously, as usual around this time, released their year in review numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just some highlights for the audience. So there are two plus million unique monthly broadcasters. That was probably the biggest surprise for me. 27,000 partnered streamers, 150,000 affiliates, uh, 15 million uh, daily unique viewers and 223% more creators uh, earning money. Uh, so um, a lot of good numbers in there. <laughs> a lot a lot of good numbers. So um, yeah, like, you know, just walk us through it, you know, from your perspective of what of these numbers, like which one of those were, uh, you know, above what you expected and which one of those, which one of these were kind of, just a, a, a normal continuation of growth. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I'm proudest of the fact that I am one of those 150,000 affiliates. Yeah. And I, I did it without actually having to ask the engineering team to just kind of jerry-rig it for me. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, um, going live on Twitch is a very bold and powerful thing to do. And us as a platform, our job is to help our content creators monetize. And so what is for me, the, the, the happiest stat in that particular infographic for me is the revenue that's going to content creators. The mm-hmm. fact that you can make a career, you can make a lucrative career now being a content creator on the Twitch platform um, that's great. It's good for people who create artwork. It's great for people who create, you know, kind of general gaming content. Most importantly, though, it's great for esports. Yeah. You know, like this has been a, a, a secret area of revenue for a long time. And I just think it's super important for especially the top tier uh, esports athletes to be able to make money. And to make it off of a multiple of different ways. And so, yes, your team contract is important. Yes, it's important to uh, win prize pools and stuff like that. But being able to have some independence, being able to earn money independently, I think it's just really important to the overall ecosystem for esports and will help empower athletes across the globe to really strive for more and to take more ownership in their own careers. So I think from that perspective, that's my favorite stat of that whole bunch. Overall, though, I mean, you know, we're, we're crushing it. I remember a couple years ago when I started at Twitch, 11,000 partners. Now we have 27,000. You know, we had a million channels and we were like, oh, my gosh, how will we ever get to two million? You know, and it's like we're on our, our way to a lot of great stats. I mean, um, for the last couple of years, we've kind of been stuck at around 10 million daily concurrence. So um, to be up in the upwards of 15 million daily average uniques, 
uh, is a huge, huge step forward for the platform. Um, and that's all thanks to literally everyone. So whether it's, you know, whether it's a broadcaster who broadcasts to three people, whether it's Turner broadcasting to a record number, whether that's Activision Blizzard bringing, you know, their Overwatch League content to our home, um, all this stuff matters. All this stuff is what's making Twitch um, the destination for esports, what's pushing us forward as an industry. So, I, I mean, all those stats are amazing and it's, it's great to continue to see that growth and being an Amazon subsidiary, growth is important, yes. <laughs> as we all know. Everything goes by the numbers. And so, you know, this is all really important stuff, but it is by no means the end of the road for us. I think there's a lot more we've got in the books. So it's a good start, but there's, there's plenty more to go. It's good as you mentioned, it's not the end of the road. I mean, we've seen Twitch diversify heavily past year i think the irl category um was something new i think Mm -hmm. it was launched last year right yep so that's that's really interesting to see Uh, and i think it has probably shows a lot more like uh why we have a a lot more people broadcasting because people all of a sudden that were were i think viewers of twitch Mm -hmm. but didn't feel comfortable showing themselves streaming um but love to talk about the weather or, or, or just love to play some music now all of a sudden feel comfortable to do that. Yeah, and I mean, my favorite part is the fact that like uh, new categories of Twitch content have been popping up. You see people uh, working out and physical fitness now and home gyms have become a huge part of it. So you see all these physical fitness trainers uh, showing people the proper techniques for working out. Like I would have never thought that that would be something that would be popular on Twitch. But again, we're a platform. We're not the ones creating the content. We're the ones just shining lights on cool content. And it's the community. That's the magic of what happens. And just from a historical perspective, I mean, Justin TV is kind of the originator. Mm-hmm. Twitch was a was kind of a subsidiary of Justin TV. But it's beautiful to see the platform now going back to its roots so all of a sudden, right? So so before, I mean, you had these people working out on Justin TV or yep. you had these people singing on Justin TV uh, and now you're bringing that back to Twitch and obviously in a completely different environment. Um, looking at ways, you're, you know, you're saying that in the future we'll see Twitch grow and we'll talk more about this later on. We'll talk about sure. your personal journey, but where do you th- what are some key areas you think will be interesting for the for the audience to uh, to watch out for? Well, I mean, I think for us, it starts with the newest Twitch super fan, and that's Adam Silver. Uh, you know, he constantly and the guy is 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 our biggest fan, and he's great. He's super smart, and he has pushed the NBA to be just one of the most progressive leagues out there. And what's great is that you know he challenges us to be more engaging as a platform. He wants Twitch to be successful. We've done some great stuff now with the NBA, with an yes. NBA channel, with their G League broadcast, which is really great. Um, you know, fingers crossed. Would love to see 2KL come to our platform um, and, and just continue that. I mean, you know, I'd love to see someday where we've got Saturday nights on Twitch. Mm-hmm. You know, like I would love to see LeBron on 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 Twitch. Um, I think that that stick and ball sports is a place where we can provide some really interesting growth, Absolutely. really interesting opportunities, especially from an engagement perspective. I think for too long, it's been easy to just sit in front of television and lean back and just let content wash over you. Um, now there's an opportunity, a real opportunity to sit forward and lean forward and actually communicate, talk, discuss, be a part of the action, be part of the broadcasting. Exactly. And I think, again, that's where we're, we're coming at with this. So I think for, from our perspective, 100% uh, stick and ball sports across the board are going to be a priority. 
um, and would love to, to see more partnerships in that. Obviously, um, original content is going to be a big thing for us. I know we've talked a little bit, but we've got shows in the works, stuff like Stream On, mm-hmm. um, which is going to be kind of our take on American Idol for live streaming, helping to, again, raise up new broadcasters, you know, rising stars in the space. Let's bring them into the forefront. Let's really make them a, a priority in terms of growing our audience so that it's not just the same people at the top. Um, I mean, I would love to see some premieres on Twitch. You know, we've done some of those things with Amazon. We've done some shows. Yeah, with Team Liquid. We've done some stuff with Amazon in terms of showing off um, the tick and some of the other Mm -hmm. Amazon uh, exclusive shows. Um, But being a destination for like socially consumed content is just a natural thing for Twitch to do. So, yeah, I would love to see us finding some new ways to kind of create those things, create those opportunities um, and reap the benefits of, of, of new audiences, right? Like Twitch has always been solely about gaming and gaming content. And we're going to continue to be about gaming content, but we're going to find new ways to grow that. Mm-hmm. And that is to me, the really great part. And to your point, you remember Justin TV. So you remember kind of the explosion in a thousand different directions that it was. Uh, now it's more cultured. It's more structured. It's more, um, you know, it's more, uh, direct in its movements. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good thing. And so we're going to reap those rewards. We're going to constantly challenge ourselves to be a more engaging platform. Uh, and I just, I think that overall will will be the winning formula uh, and hopefully will continue to help us attract new audiences. We'll talk more about Twitch later, but since you mentioned Adam Silver, that's as perfect as a bridge as I'm ever going to get to our next story. <laughs> so we've previously mentioned uh, in the past episode, the NBA 2K League. I mean, I think it's one of the top stories to follow in 2018, just from a general business perspective. Um, and there was some really interesting info released um, this week. So... Uh, Just going through the list, number one, the prize pool uh, for the main league and some side tournaments will reach $1 million, which is really impressive. All players will be signed to a six-month contract. Uh, The first-round draft picks can be paid a base salary of $35,000, and all other players are being paid Mm $32,000. Players can sign endorsement deals to earn income in addition to their NBA 2K League compensation package. That's amazing. And um, obviously, they're subject to league guidelines, but that's an incredible, uh, I think, a a very progressive step by the NBA 2K League. And in addition to their base salary, players will receive paid housing for the entire season. Relocation will be included in the compensation packages and additional benefits like medical insurance and a retirement plan. So, Nathan, before I give you the mic, uh, I just wanted to mention like one thing. So there was a buzz around Twitter. Um, A lot of these NBA 2K kind of draftees looked at this and the vast majority was extremely positive about it. Mm -hmm. But I think there was a a small but vocal minority that was very confused. Um, And just for any of our listeners, I know we have quite a few NBA 2K listeners after after we did the episode with the NBA 2K League managers. But... um, so these, this is just the base salary. So not only previously, like here it got mentioned, you can sign endorsement deals. So if you have an agent or if you if you are able to do that yourself, that's a great source of revenue. But we're not even talking about, you'll get money through your price pool and um, you can keep the money from streaming, which is a huge plus and, it's, and, that, and that's amazing. So all that combined, if you're looking at the total package of the NBA 2K streamer and, and player, I think if you're successful and if you're able to brand yourself well, you have this base salary, which is very generous because the NBA 2K League is 
it's just starting. There's no, uh, there, there's some minor proof of concept with tournaments, but there's obviously the league by itself, there's no proof of concept. So the league is taking an incredible risk. Um, but if you take all those extra ways of compensation into consideration, I mean, you're rivaling some of the bigger esports titles with, with that type of compensation. Uh, and, and it's beautiful to see the NBA uh, uh, kind of taking that ahead um, and, and, and not waiting for criticism to hit them, but mm-hmm. kind of already preempting that with some of these, uh, uh, some of these uh, amazing uh, kind of compensation details. Nathan, what are, what are your thoughts on this? It's a sweet deal. Yeah. I, 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 you know, quick soundbite that to me is like, that is, it's a good deal. Uh, this is the first year of this league. Um, I remember working in my olden days at Curse, and I remember looking at the payroll sheets for some of our lower end players, and it was a fraction of that. Yep. And the whole value proposition was, hey, dude, you get to live in a house and eat for free. That was the hook for esports no more than four years ago. Yep. That was the hook. Free housing and free food. I mean, four years ago, League of Legends players, I mean, would, yeah. a lot of them would love to get these type of salaries. This is this is guaranteed money on top of huge opportunities for upsells for you. For six months. And not only that, yeah. I mean, again, I'm not really sure. I haven't seen too much of the full details, but I think you're, you get health benefits too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Health benefits are something that I think a lot of people overlook. And I get, yeah, you're playing video games, so why do you need the health benefits that you would need for an NBA player? But, like, let me tell you, man, you never know when you're going to get sick. You never know when you're going to be uh, in need of health care and stuff like that. And I think that that is something that is completely underappreciated in these deals. Um, and a lot of that's just age. Um, you don't realize how vulnerable you are until you get older and realize how vulnerable you are. But you know, I think overall, the NBA is really trying to create an opportunity here where the, the top players across the board are going are gonna to get access to success. And they're all going to have a, a piece of the pie. They're all going to get the opportunity to build something. And let's not forget, this is year one, mm-hmm. right? This isn't like, this isn't franchised year six of the LCS. Like the market's not there yet because the market's never existed exactly. before. Um, I have spent years educating people on how sports simulation titles are extremely successful from a participa- uh, participation standpoint and not particularly great from a viewership standpoint. Exactly. And it's like, you know, finally someone comes along and says, we're going to change all that. We're going to create a product and an opportunity and we're going to build it from the ground up when, and we're going to look at it from the position of a player. Because I think the NBA, we can both agree, is probably one of the most player-focused leagues out there. Progressive in any sense of the word. And I think from that perspective, they've designed this 2K league to be exactly what players need year one, to build the foundation, to move it forward in a way that not only is going to, I think, benefit the 2K league, but it's going to benefit sports simulation titles and the entire industry um, for years to come. I did a podcast a couple weeks ago with the guys from NBA Baseline, Mm -hmm. and I said to them on the podcast, I said, listen, I think that what the NBA 2K league is doing is bold. It's a big deal, but it is 100% the right direction for the future of sports simulation titles. And I got to be honest with you, if the folks at Madden and FIFA and the NHL aren't taking notes, it's a mistake because I think this is going to be a big success. I mean, quite frankly, they are. I think, I think the, you know, the NHL 
MLS made an announcement with the MLS Cup. The NHL made an announcement with their uh, kind of esports endeavors. I mean, they're all looking at the NBA 2K League and they're seeing the reception mm-hmm. of, of the North American community. And they're looking at it and they're saying, hey, we want a piece of that. And most importantly, they're, 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 they're seeing, hey, we can cre- recreate a lot of this and add our own flair. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I'm really, really excited. Um, I but think- this, is, this is to me where, though, where I, where I make my big stand, mm-hmm. right? To me, the difference is is they've taken the NBA athletes out of it and they're actually creating new icons of and course. new players. And I think one of the most boring things about watching a sports simulation title is watching Messi or Brady or yep. LeBron recreate what they can only do every once in a while, yep. every single game. I can't stand watching FIFA and watching Manchester versus Manchester or watching Germany versus Germany. Like, there is no interest. There's no intrigue. There's no opportunity for a meta and a meta breaker. Yeah. And so what I'm excited about is I am excited for the opportunity to finally give people the chance to create a meta, yes. to create these ideas and to actually say who is the best and what's the best strategy and take a lot of the the, the BS that comes with sports simulations out of the game. Like to me, this is really an undersold aspect of what the NBA 2K League is doing. And I think that honestly, there's a lot of flack, right? The fact that there's no LeBron, the fact that there's no KD, the fact there's no money makers on day one of this league, people who are like, I know exactly who that person mm-hmm. is, right? That's a huge risk. At the end of the day though, it was the right decision. Absolutely. And I think those guys, they get they deserve a tremendous amount of credit for having the cojones to, to make a very bold decision on that that I hope to see every other league try and, and kind of emulate. So number one, I think the North American leagues, I can't talk about like the smaller leagues in, in Europe, but I think the North American leagues will take note of this and add that to some of their stuff. I think uh, the publishers of those games will be uh, looking at 2K and, and their really collaboration with the NBA. Mm-hmm. They create a whole combine mode for this. Uh, will be a lot more open to working. Uh, so I think that will have a ripple effect. But just focusing on the NBA, um, like I just mentioned, the combine mode, uh, that by itself is groundbreaking in sports simulation yeah. games. The fact that a publisher is willing to create a whole new mode, um, basically open up their game to the collaboration with the NBA and uh, and basically create the, the perfect scouting ground for uh, for NBA NBA 2K athletes on the world is amazing, and I think they got what like like fifty to seventy thousand something like that. There were a ridiculously high number of people um, playing the fifty games necessary to get into that combine, um, and it shows that there is a community here that is that is hungry and it has been underserved. Um, and it is willing to, to take advantage of this opportunity. Yeah. And again, I, I think the word that I keep going back to with NBA 2K League is care. Yes. Everything about what they have done has shown a dedicated effort to caring. And again, sometimes that's just really hard. When you're a game publisher, you're trying to produce a game. <laughs> you're trying to ship a product. You're trying to make sure there's no bugs and issues. Like sometimes it's hard to care. Sometimes it's hard to get everything just right. But, you know, the NBA has just done a great job of saying, listen, we're going to care and we'll use that and we'll move forward with it. And I'm just really excited to see it. Now, again, I think the NBA has a tremendous advantage 
in the fact that they're playing five on five basketball. Yep. Okay. They're not playing 11 on a side, right? They're not playing in these, these bigger aspect games. And I'll be interested to see, does the world of FIFA and Madden evolve to a place where you're not playing one-on-one, but you're playing like 11 on 11. Like, I think it's interesting, but is it is it something that's even feasible for the in, in the next decade? That I don't know. I think a big advantage of uh, NBA. I mean, there are advantages that let's say EMLS Cup has as opposed to NBA 2K League. I mean, we can have that discussion, and I think there's a lot to say on the EMLS side. But when we're looking at just NBA as a vacuum, the big advantage that they have is that they're the only relevant really relevant basketball league out there. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can't have, you don't have the risk, you know, of a German soccer, of a basketball league building up and, and doing the same thing uh, or a Spanish one. I mean, they can try to, but they will get nowhere near the, the, the activation. So that's obviously amazing. They kind of represent a more traditional esports publisher sure. in that way, that there's only one league where you want to go to. Um, and that gives them a lot more freedom. That gives them a lot more leeway to work with publishers, work with 2K, and kind of say like, we're the only, like we are the only one you can you can work with. So uh, uh, so you know, let's have that conversation. Uh, very excited to see that story follow. And just I think 2018 will be the year of sports simulation games. I could see that. I, I definitely think. I think what's going to be really interesting, and I want to get your thoughts on this one. Uh, how important is it for NBA 2K League to draft a female? So I think that's so. Here's the thing. First of all, I think at the end of the day, the good thing about the combine is the fact that you don't see faces. Mm-hmm. So you just see stats, and the draft is most likely the vast majority of it is going to be on that. That being said, I mean, I followed. I you know some of our our friends are our, our managers and mm-hmm. work in the league, and and I've seen them retweet some some females who just crush it yeah um and i think that is amazing i obviously there are a lot of players getting drafted in this first round 100%. so i think next year uh it's going to be a lot more competitive because you have limited spots to draft um but i think the whole value preposition uh from a community perspective of the nba 2k league is the fact that if a female crushes it like she will be a first round draft pick yep and no one else can say anything about it that's the beauty of esports to be to be quite frank, just looking at the community and like looking at it from like a side eye, mm-hmm. I think it's I think we'll get multiple females drafted in the league and 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 I think that will be an amazing opportunity to show the world that um, esports as a whole is really the first kind of competitive playing field, competitive uh, sports genre where no one can tell you what to do based on anything. Whether that's you know race, ethnicity, gender, you're right up there. What what, are, what do you think, Nathan? I'm very excited about it. I, I again, I think it's not essential, but it's a nice to have addition, and I think it, it speaks to the inclusivity of esports. And I yes. think it's been great to see Overwatch League getting its first female care uh, yes. player in the league. And by the way, she's better than 20% of the league right now. She's, and so it's, it's she, she decided not to like she originally she got plenty of offers yeah because she's just an amazing player and she decided that she wanted to wait or that she you know she wanted to to focus on other things and at the end i mean the teams had to make her an offer she couldn't refuse I yeah mean, that if that doesn't speak for the for for the value then 
of esports brings for leveling the playing field, I, I don't know what else would. And it's been great. I've you know ever since we you know we started working with the NBA on the NBA channel and stuff like that, and ever since they announced the 2K League was coming, I spent more time watching Twitch streamers, and I I've really enjoyed some of the females out there and their streams. They're clean cut. They're nice. They're amazing players. Um, and they connect with their audience in a really strong way. So this is to me, I think, you know, as a as a as a nice side story, we're going to see some awesome stories about success of female athletes in esports. Um, it's going to become something where it's just it's. I'm I'm hoping by 2020, it's not a conversation anymore. Exactly. It's just something that is a natural part of esports, where again, it's a constant conversation topic in traditional sports. Um, but it, even today, I was watching curling. And they have mixed teams there. Yep. Naturally, they should. There's no reason why they shouldn't. Yep. So it's great to see that when it can be done, and esports is that real true equalizer, and it is the most inclusive opportunity in sports, I love to see those stories come to life, and I hope that eventually we'll get to a place where it doesn't even matter. Or even, uh, what's it called, during the Olympics in Pyeongchang, like the, the Intel uh, ESL kind of pre-tournament, mm -hmm. we saw Scarlett, a female player, like beat some of the top contenders and win that tournament. I mean, that's a success story, if anything. That's, that's a true representation of the esports spirit. I think we've come a long way. Five, six years ago, this wasn't a conversation point. Yeah. Um, now it is a conversation point, um, valid or not. I mean, sometimes, uh, most often it is. Um, I, but I, I'm a true believer that the way the industry is going, like you said, in 2020 or, or whenever, you know, give it a few years, we'll get to the point where it isn't a conversation point anymore, where there's a vast representation of females. And eventually we'll get to a point where where it isn't even a question about representation anymore, yeah. where, it's just a, where, it's just a, uh, where it's just a question about... Like, like, can you do stuff or, or can't or can you? And, and, and I think we'll get there sooner than people think. Yeah, I remember my Twitch sales decks three years ago. And I was like being overly generous with the 90-10 split between males and females. And this was three or four years ago. This wasn't that long ago. And now my sales decks and our, our research is showing more like 75-25 and leaning even closer to 70-30. Like, that's, this is good. And the rationale for that is there is obviously a lot more emphasis put on protecting people in game from griefing. A lot of work being done by the publishers to make a more inclusive environment. A lot more effort and emphasis being made by brands like Intel investing yes. in, in the success of female athletes. Uh, again, all in all, it's a great success. To me, it's still missing some brands championing it. Yeah. I think there's a really great story that can be told by some brands in the space around female gaming, empowering female gaming, empowering minority gaming uh, that just aren't being told quite yet. But I think that opportunity is there. So I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I, 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 well, I completely agree with you. I do think that having talked having talked to some of the top uh, female players, often the fact that when I when I mention stuff like. Oh, like, isn't it beautiful that you're an amazing, like, like as a female player, they're like, wait, 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 I'm an incredible player. I do not want to be known as being an incredible female player because they consider that to be something uh, bad by itself. But I, I can understand the argument being made that we should have these champions mm -hmm. so that we can inspire the future generation. Absolutely. Um, and you're going to find the right people to be those brand ambassadors. I yes. think that's, that's something that, again, not everyone, uh, my favorite... I'm going to go back and I'm going to date myself. 
But, you know, like one of my favorite comments was from Charles Barkley, right? Where he's like, I'm not a role model. Yes. Right? Like that was his famous quote where he was like, I'm not a role model. And again, not every athlete is the ideal role model. But you know what? There will be a time, there will be a place, and there will be athletes who step up, who look to themselves as an extension for the future. And they will say, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to champion that. I am going to inspire future females, future minorities, future folks to live their dream of being an esports athlete. And I'm going to look at this as an opportunity and a, and a, and a platform to push that forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that that will be a special individual. Will that person happen tomorrow? Will that person happen next week? I have no idea. That person will come. That person will put that mantle on and they'll take it. But not like we should not be trying to put that on the first person. No. Again, it should be about if that person wants to take up that mantle, then let's help them and support them. But by no means is it fair for us to say, oh, well, you're the first female Overwatch player. Therefore, you need to take all of the females in the entire world of Overwatch and champion them. No, that may not be what she wants to do. And that is fine. In the same way that, you know, the top U.S. male player is not being asked to, like, champion, you know, Overwatch in the U.S. Yeah. Like, that's not their job. If they want to take up that cause, great. We should support them in that. Um, but I do think that brands should be out there trying to tell that story, trying to tell athletes that they want to help support them. And there are a ton of great broadcasters and great esports athletes out there Absolutely. that I do think want to tell that story right now. And let's let's empower them to continue that story on forward. Okay. So moving on to our next story that focuses on the intersection between uh, traditional sports and esports. Team Vitality announced a very interesting partnership with Renault Sports to launch uh, a variety of esports teams. So um, the Renault Sport team, uh, which is a uh, a racing team uh, headlined by uh, by the Renault car brand, uh, announced that they will work together with Team Vitality and they will have teams in Rocket League and a Formula One esports series competition. Uh, so before I give my take on it, Nathan, what are, what are your initial thoughts on this? I'm lukewarm. Okay. I'm excited to see the car investment. I'm excited to see more brands getting in this space. Um, it just seems too easy. It seemed okay. a little bit too easy to me in terms of, I mean, Rocket League, great. Racing, I get it. Um, Team Vitality, I think, is, is, is creating a, an amazing infrastructure right now in terms of their investment. Yep. That's going to lead to more opportunities. Certainly, sponsorship from Renault will... Uh, increase opportunities there. Um, I just I'm 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 disappointed by auto manufacturers and their and their lack of interest in esports. That's interesting. Um, I just think that you're looking at a, a group that is desperate to tell people why it's awesome to own an automobile, and there's just no work with them yet. And and there's been a couple of things here and there, but if you look at Ford, you look at Chevrolet, you look at at Jeep. Like big iconic American brands, nowhere to be found. Yep. Um, and I, I, that as a sales guy, that's a that's a frustration point for me. And so a little bit of that is boiling over into this. I think that it's great to have the investment. I'm excited to see what they're going to do with it. Uh, and so I'm going to reserve final judgment for that. But I think that that. Looking at this and saying, "Oh, we're sponsoring a a you know a Formula One team," is 
It's, yeah, it, it, it's it's a lackluster effort in the world of esports. Yeah. That's a really really interesting take, and I didn't I haven't thought of it until you mentioned it this way. When I initially thought of it, I think the Formula One is like okay, they're already doing a Rocket League team, which I think the vast majority of investment will go to. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think their Formula One was kind of oh you know we need a, a Renault representative there. You know can you help? They'll help with the groundwork. Um, so I think the Rocket League. Stuff was really interesting. I keep on championing Rocket League as kind of... <laughs> I mean, you've heard a couple of times from me, but I, yeah. I, I probably champion Rocket League. If, if any of the like underrated esports in any conversations I have with, like whether it's brands or teams, I think if there's so much overlap when it comes to soccer. I think there's so much overlap when it comes to ra like car companies or, or, or racing, racing teams. So that I think is really cool and really interesting. But I do agree with you specifically on the fact that the American car manufacturer has been notoriously absent in esports. I mean, even Mercedes-Benz uh, is now making headway with oh, yeah. ESL. Uh, so, um, and that is kind of, that is, you know, bad and a bit frightening to see. Um, uh, not, I mean, listen, esports at this moment, I mean, we, the, we we have brands that are interested. I mm -hmm. think it's more of a fact that I would love to see, I, I would hate to see more uh, American car brands, you know, jumping on the bandwagon when it's too late. Yeah. Again, I, I, I'm looking at this and I'm saying to myself, there's such a tremendous opportunity here. Uh, this seems small. And I think, you know, looking at, at what I'm hoping for is that this is, the, this is a stepping off point for them. This leads to, a, to, to tremendous opportunities. I also, I really want to know, like, what, what, what is this going to be doing for the space? What is this going to be doing for fans of Team Vitality? What is this going to, like, are they going to be creating content? Am I going to learn more about my favorite Rocket League team? Are they going to have a better Rocket League team now mm -hmm. because they've got more money? Uh, what is it about this deal that's going to be making this an important investment, uh, not only for Renault and their and they're, they're moving into a younger man's arena, but also like, what does it mean for esports? What does it mean for Team Vitality? Like, I want to know more about that, and I want to understand how they're going to be building this up and to be making something more of it. Like to me, this would have been a, a perfect opportunity to say because of we're doing this. Mm -hmm. And I, and again, I didn't get that out of the press release. I wanted to see that. I wanted to understand what the difference maker is because fans want to understand that. Yep. It's great to have a sponsor and no one ever was, you know, re reveals the numbers. So it's like, great. This sponsor could spend $30. They could spend $3 million. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So what am I getting from this? What does this mean for me as Joe team vitality fan? What am I getting from this? And I think that is where the message needs to be sent out loud and clear. When you're bringing on a partner in esports, what is it doing for esports? Absolutely. And I think that is where this in particular thing so far has missed. But again, I'm I, I'm, I'm familiar with the guys at Team Vitality. I know they're a, a pretty put together shop. So I expect this to be an important part of their moving forward, which is great. Just tell the story. And I think this is not symptomatic of just this one instance. I think in general, I tend to be very underwhelmed by announcements in esports because it's like, oh, so-and-so is, is sponsoring such and such. Mm -hmm. And that's the end of the conversation. Okay, well, why? What are, the, what are we getting out of it? What is going to be happening? Uh, that's the stuff I want to know as a fan, not just as a businessman. 
I want to know as a fan, like, what am I getting into? You know, my favorite league, my favorite team has just announced a partnership with somebody new. What kind of relationship is this going to be? Um, that is the stuff that I think brands need to think about and leagues and teams and events need to think about when they're making these announcements because this is a smart audience. This is a savvy audience. They want to know, what does this mean for me? And how much further, to, further, to go further on your point, how much further does a sponsorship activation go if Team Vitality can now say, hey, Rocket League fans, you know this top player that's been that, 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 is, that is killing it? Because of Renault, we can get this guy right now. Yeah. Because of Renault, this amazing player is now part of our team. If you're if you're uh, uh, if you're a Team Vitality Rocket League fan, guess what? Like you're gonna love Renault for that because all of a sudden your team is is a little bit more competitive, um, can can has a better chance of making a championship. Yeah, and I, I that that's the easy one. That's the easy way to go, yes. and that's great. But that's all it needs. It just needs a little bit of that that of that rationale of what's going on, like what's happening. And again, maybe this is just a simple case of you know what because of Renault. We can do Rocket League. And that's, that's a great story. And that's a great opportunity. And that expends the brand. It puts the brand in a place that makes sense. Um, we desperately want more brands involved in Rocket League. Uh, it is an up-and-coming esport. But it is not something that has the budgets behind it of an Overwatch League or of a LCS yet. And so, yeah, we need to scrape. We need to kind of put things together and, and hustle. And so at no point am I ever disappointed that more brands are coming into space. I, in this announcement, I just wanted more. I wanted to know what exciting things Team Vitality is going to be doing because of this. Mm -hmm. And I think more just in a macro perspective, I just want to know more about what these things mean to fans. I think fans deserve that. I think when you look at a partnership announcement from a, you know, with an, an AB InBev and an NFL, like they talk a lot about what that means for the fans. fans. Yeah. It doesn't just mean dilly dilly. You know, it means a lot of, of opportunities and exciting things. So let's learn from those things and let's tell those stories in esports because I'll tell you what, when fans are educated, Fans are happy. When yep. fans are happy, they are engaged and they are the best evangelists you will ever have for your brand. So let's just tell that story. Let's give fans a reason to love every single brand that comes in, whether it's Trogues, whether it's Single Cut, whether it's whatever it is, right? Let's get those brands on board and let's explain how they're bringing some value to the space. Maybe one day we can get a, we have a single cut sponsorship. Ah, that that would be will. amazing. I would love for work for, for, for whatever company gets that sponsorship in esports. Um, moving on to our next kind of sponsorship story and looking at all these stories, all of them are related to sports somehow. So that's really cool to see. But uh, NBA All-Star Joel Embiid uh, now becomes the official gaming headset ambassador for HyperX. So that headline basically says it all. Um, Joel Embiid has been a, a gamer his whole life, and it's kind of a cliche, but he has been vocal about his love for gaming. Um, he's never tried to, to hide it or been ashamed by it, quite the opposite. He's always been a, a gaming evangelist, and, and it, it paid off. Um, Nathan, coming from a, a sponsorship um, background, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on this deal? Coming from a, my olden days of just being a gamer and, a, and an athlete, like, I was a, you know, a three varsity athlete in high school and I played a ton of video games. At no point did I ever think those things were mutually exclusive. Uh, it was very interesting to get older and realize that like, yeah, there were negative stereotypes around gamers and people playing video games. 
Well, for me, it was just that was just something we always did. Whether it was Akari Warriors, whether it was Legend of Zelda, whether it was you know uh, World of Warcraft, Mario Kart, like it didn't matter. It was gaming was fun. Gaming stuff you did with friends. Um, so it's it's interesting for me as someone who just grew up playing sports and playing video games that somehow these two things are mutually exclusive. Uh, they're not, and it's very obvious that there's a huge overlap opportunity. Absolutely. And I think you're seeing a you're seeing smart, savvy companies like HyperX realize that, like, yes, there are 300 million gamers in the world, mm-hmm. right? And there's 30 million gamers or whatever in the U.S. Awesome, fantastic. There are 360 million people in the U.S. So we need to get outside of just gaming. So how do we connect with those people? How do we tell those stories? And they're doing a great job with that. There's a lot of great ambassadors out there who cross a, you know, over from just gaming to other things. At the end, Ray Fox uh, is also an, uh, a HyperX athlete, the, uh, the, M- the NBA rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, to go further on your point um, and... I think you have said this a lot of times before. I mean, the, the opportunity in gaming goes a little bit beyond esports, right? Yeah. So uh, esports obviously is the low-hanging fruit and it's where, where a lot of the engagement goes in the hardcore fans. But especially looking from a traditional sports perspective, there are gaming activations and ways you can distinguish yourself in this extremely cluttered sports marketplace um, that touch gaming. Create those touch points. I mean, John Bead, I mean, I would love... For you, if there's a content series you can do with HyperX, I would love for you to talk about your favorite games. And, and I think that's if you're if you're a fan of his, or if, especially if you're not a fan of his, mm-hmm. these are ways to, to get better. And just to, to shout out Twitch, I mean, one of my favorite streamers happens to be Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Yeah. Uh, I'm a UFC fan, and when I found out that Demetrius loves to play Fortnite, um, whenever he goes live, I tend to watch for a little bit. And here's a guy who um, I liked as a fighter, but now all of a sudden I like him as a person because he shares a passion with me mm-hmm. that goes beyond um, beyond the obvious meaning mixed martial arts, uh, and that's an extremely like kind of an untapped resource for a lot of uh, traditional sports properties. Absolutely, and not only that, but like let's take it a step further, right? Sports, great movies, entertainment. Right. Yes. Terry Crews streams on Twitch. Jerry Ferreira's on Twitch. You know, you, you look at, at, at Dead Mouse. You look at T-Pain. These are guys that go on. They're gamers. They're just gamers. Snoop Dogg did a whole sponsored stream the other yeah, day. Crazy. He had almost you know, over 100,000 people watching. Incredible. Right. But that's like it's breaking down the stereotypes of that gaming is somehow a fat recluse in their parents' basement. Like it's just not the case anymore. And I think that there's a huge opportunity to break down those stereotypes and especially for gaming peripheral companies. They're constantly trying to break those stereotypes of the fact that only nerds buy my product, right? That's not the case. If you play NBA 2K, if you play Madden, if you play, you know, Candy Crush, you you actually probably could use a pair of HyperX headsets. Absolutely. And that's where I think the opportunity is and that people need to think about gaming as just the fifth pillar of entertainment. And that's what we talk about at Twitch. It's the fifth pillar of entertainment. And that is the opportunity where as gaming becomes a more and more accepted part of mainstream culture, once we get that Will Ferrell movie that pokes fun at us, we become mainstream. uh, That is going to be where we have the opportunity to just, it's just gaming is a part of what everyone does. And gaming is kind of like one of those things that, 
the gaming industry dwarfs the music industry. It dwarfs the TV, TV, the like TV industry to some point, and it definitely dwarfs the music industry. And for some reason, there's still it's still not considered to be on the same level as those type of entertainments. When in reality, it's much bigger. Yeah. Um, Listen, if you're a sports fan, right? If you're a baseball fan, if you're a lifelong baseball fan, you could be like 130 years old, be the oldest person in the world. You're an NBA fan, basketball fan, right? could be 60-something years old, right? Lifetime. If you're a lifetime gamer, at best you're like in your mid-30s. Like lifetime gamer, like grew up, day yep. one, gaming. You're like basically in your like early to mid-30s at best. And so the reality there is that gaming just hasn't been around that long. Mm-hmm. And the CMOs and the executives who work for major QSR brands, major CPG companies, they didn't grow up gaming. And that's okay. Eventually, they will. And they'll be totally comfortable with it, accepting of it. It'll be a natural part of society. So again, as I fight the good fight to get people you know, evangelized into esports and gaming, I, I temper everything with the fact that we've not been around as long. Absolutely. And as we continue to be around, it will continue to become a more accepted part of the space and a part of the industry and a part of just general mainstream life. And that is eventually where we're going to win. Because we're going to win, Maurice. You know this. I know this. Gaming is going to be a fixture in mainstream society within the next decade. It's just a fact. So we don't have to necessarily fight people on it. We just got to keep giving them explanations of why. Absolutely. And that is the smart people, the savvy people will realize that, will see the tsunami coming and they'll figure out ways to capitalize on. And this is a great way for HyperX to get themselves outside of the world of hardcore gaming. And honestly, it's a brilliant move by Harris Blitzer to get their athletes involved and connected with this, you know, awesome gaming product that is available and at a price point that makes sense for their audience and their customers. It just, it's a perfect partnership and it is the exact blueprint for how smart people figure out how to monetize this gaming phenomenon. Absolutely, you're you're. Uh, it's easy having you like as as a guest because you basically say everything that need, that needs to be said. So it's easy to uh, to just go on. I came here and I really wanted to argue. <laughs> I wanted to argue with you tonight. I wanted to just like throw down the gauntlet and be like, no, I'm not going to be like every other guest. We're not going to agree. Yeah, no, I'm going to fight you. This is Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp kind of thing. But this is maybe maybe we disagree on this story. All right. Uh, this is the last kind of main story before we move into your story and kind of the work you've been doing in esports. So uh, Forza RC, the, the world championship of, of the Forza racing game, returns in 2018 and it features a $100,000 prize pool. So the preseason invitation will be March 24th in Seattle. And after that, the regular season will begin. You will have two series, each with seven weeks of ranked events, and ending with a live playoff event with a top prize of 75000 After the comp- uh, completion of both series, the top 24 drivers will be invited into the World Championship, which will have a prize pool of $100,000. So once again, before I, before I take the mic, Nathan, what are, what are your thoughts on this, the return of this, of this series? I want driving games to be awesome. I just, they're not there yet. And like, it's just hard because customization is like the most important part of 
a successful racing game and a successful competition, right? Like I go back to this around sports simulations and it's like, if there's no opportunity to create a meta, then there's no opportunity to to break a meta, yep. then there's no reason why you'd want to watch, right? You, you get the best car, the best car drives the fastest, has the best turning, and it is statistically the best car. I don't know how you make that interesting. So what I wanna see from Forza, and maybe we'll see it this year, and I am gonna root for them like no other, what I wanna see is I wanna see what they're doing in sports simulations. Yep. I want a base car and I want everyone to get $100,000 and I want you to build the car yep. that you think with the, with the functions and the add-ons, you build the car that you think is gonna win you a championship just like NASCAR. Absolutely. And I think that if that can be done, now I am interested in watching this because there's something to discuss. There's some kind of strategy, there's some kind of philosophy, there's customization to the driver. Um, again, the driver may not want the fastest car. He may want a car that just handles better. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting to discuss and debate and argue about. And right now, that's the missing ingredient in sports simulations. Yes. And that is the missing ingredient in car simulations and racing sims. And so until they address that, until I can have an argument over a single cut with Maurice on a Wednesday, Tuesday, whatever Tuesday. day it is, <laughs> I'm lacking the enthusiasm to watch. Yes. And so again, I'm rooting for them. <clears throat> I want to see it. I'm hoping for it. But to me, that is that is the, the the update. That's the change they have to make to make racing simulations interesting esports. So just to go further on that, so I think when you're looking, that there are two kind of main sports simulation titles, two two in, in worldwide. So mm -hmm. not just the U.S. In the U.S., obviously Madden is included, but worldwide it's NBA 2K and it's FIFA. NBA 2K and FIFA um, have for years have been able to sit down. And, and, and because there's so many users playing the game. Um, but now as they're starting to move more into esports, they're realizing um, you can't just have Germany, like you said, you can't have Germany playing against Germany. You need to have, uh, you know, Jason's team with his players and his, and his skills and, and the way he, he divided the points playing against uh, Brett's team with, the, with, his, with his points. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's... NBA 2K has been taking a step ahead, um, and uh, FIFA is, is catching up on that. Um, what I think with something like Forza is, especially the people organizing it, the, they're not nearly there yet. At this point, all they care about is they want to have a product. Sure. They want to be able to say, hey, we're, we're, in, we're in there. And hopefully, um, as they're starting to get more comfortable into, into the scene, they'll realize, like, we need to do this type of stuff. But I think as of right now, they're just focusing on this tournament. They're not even you know, talking about working together with the publisher yet. But they make an amazing product. Oh, and great. this is what frustrates me is like, the product is there. The opportunity is there. I hate saying it, but it's like, you got a Hearthstone Forza. You got a Hearthstone yep. FIFA. You got a Hearthstone everything. Like. It is, it's so funny because deck building is such an important part of successful esports. Like 
the fact that you can watch an LCS game and someone just throws out Nar or Lucian or just someone ridiculous who is outside the meta, who everyone's like, why? Why would you pick that character? And then they go 12-0 and 16, and it's like, well, damn. Now we all got to play that character. Yep. That is why I watch. That is why everyone watches. That is why Reddit exists for arguments over this. We've got to be able to do it. We've got to start holding ourselves accountable. We've got to start moving that industry forward. Again, Forza makes an amazing product. I know they can do it. That's why I feel like I can be critical because they can do this. They can literally build a car just like NASCAR does. NASCAR basically says you have to have a certain spec to your car and then the insides and around it, you do kind of what you want. It's, 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 it's a given if they can be proven the opportunity for this, it's very easy for them to do. Yeah. And that, again, that is where I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. Um, but this is a great, I mean, this is the opportunity. Yes. This is the greatness. I mean, I would love to see a Madden Pro League where you get to build your team based on a salary cap mm-hmm. or a point total. I don't care. But like throw in some some random factors in this of like, yeah, maybe I'm going to draft a 72 quarterback because I want a 99 running back. and I don't care because my quarterback's just going to hand the ball off every game. Awesome. That's fantastic. Or maybe I want a FIFA team with a back line that's non-existent because it doesn't matter. I'm going to score 15 goals because I've got Ronaldo, Messi, and Bale in the middle. Like, yep. all right, fantastic. But maybe that's a disaster. Maybe you get crushed with that. I want to see it. I want to argue it. I want to have a conversation with you. In fact, I want to have a beer with you and argue about this because that – is exactly what we do in traditional sports. And that is when you have that opportunity. That's what makes it much more engaging. And that's honestly like the fact that I can argue with people in Twitch chat, that makes it really exciting as well because then I can have arguments right then and there. Exactly. You don't even... I never get a solution to those arguments. I mean, by the time... It's a good Twitch chat. (laughs) By the time this person sees your response, they've already been like 20 other messages Mm -hmm. and it's it's too late anyways. But having an argument over emotes is really a special thing. All right. So now that we've discussed the news, um, it would be a shame if we didn't talk about your background. Um, Primarily because it's it's really expansive. as far as your like your esports experience, so you know, tell us a little bit about the story. How did you originally get into esports, and how did you end up at Twitch? Yeah, I, it's funny because I constantly forget sometimes that like I'm kind of this like weird elder statesman of esports, like esports business. Most esports important, business, most yeah. important. Yeah. I never, I never played. Um, there's certainly people that are a lot longer in the, in the biz yes. than me. And I will, I will be the first to admit that. Um, but I did get the opportunity to shill esports when the word esports was not cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I grew up, uh, in middle school and high school. I worked at the radio station. Mm-hmm. I worked at Dartmouth college radio station. I worked in commercial radio station, my junior and senior year of high school, um, I loved radio. I loved talking on the radio. No this way. is going to come as a surprise <laughs> to everyone out there. I loved talking on a microphone. Um, I did some sports broadcasting in in, uh, in high school. Uh, it was awesome. I, just, I really enjoyed it. I loved Sports Center. 
I just really got into the 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 excitement around competitive competition. And at the same time, I'm playing a ton of video games. Never ever thinking, because my mom was very quick to tell me that there's no career in video games. Uh, that you know, this was a, this was an opportunity. So I go to college, Ithaca College, upstate New York. Again, spent a lot of time in broadcasting. Get a degree in sports information, mainly because honestly, I just wasn't smart enough to get in the Park School. Uh, I spent a long time applying, and I never got in. I eventually got in because my major got swap, uh, swapped in there, so that was a big victory. Uh, but the great part about it was is that I got a degree in sports information and marketing, and that really opened up my eyes to the worlds of sports that were not the broadcast faces. Yes. So I, you know, again, I won broadcaster of the year in college. I won awards for sports broadcasting, play-by-play, news reporting. Like I loved it. But the reality was I was going to Montgomery, Alabama. I was going to, you know, a small town market, markets in like the 140 to 200 range. And that's supposed to be my career. I'm going to start there. I'll spend a couple of years. I'll work my way up. Hopefully someday I'll be good enough to be in a major market or, you know, in Bristol. And that's the dream, folks. That is it. And I, I just wasn't satisfied with that. So I looked into sports information. I actually had a really, really unique opportunity where I got to intern at Cornell okay. um, the year between my junior and senior year of college. And that was the year that Calvin Booth this gigantic behemoth offensive lineman was on Mel Kuyper's draft board. Okay. And so I, f- I basically f- you know, took calls all day long from Mel and ESPN and producers at Fox Sports. Be like, how's, how's Calvin looking today? How's he looking today? And I'm like, oh, he's looking great. He's looking svelte. Um, and that was awesome. Like in sports information was super cool. And I got to make my own media kits and like I got to build the storytelling around sports teams. And again, collegiate sports, such a magical place because these guys are not, they're not tainted by the money yet. So it's very interesting and fun to be a part of. Literally not yet. <laughs> not yet. Uh, and for Cornell, probably never. Um, but it was really fun to be a part of that. And so I graduated in 2006 and I just, I said to myself, I'm going to sports information. I'm going to be a sports information person. And it wasn't until my seventh interview at San Jose State where I was one of 20 finalists applying for a position that paid $900 a month with on-campus housing, no health benefits, Mm -hmm. no football team. That I was like, this is not my career path, yeah. and I, I it was it was a, it bummed me out. My girlfriend at the time, my wife now, um, had moved to California. She moved to San Francisco, and she said, "Listen, uh, I know you have a full time job at a radio station. I was the afternoon drive host for a country music station. No way. I was Nate Taylor, <laughs> afternoons on Q Country one zero three seven, and I, I was great. I loved it. I was also making seventeen thousand dollars a year." And I just said to myself, like, you know what? This wonderful woman has moved out to San Francisco. Like, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to move to San Francisco and we're going to YOLO. And I just, I bet on myself. I said, I'm going to figure it out. So I spent time out there. I got a job at Universal McCann, an ad agency that had Microsoft as a client. I worked on IT security and system centers, which was like the least sexy business (laughs) you could possibly work on. 
Um, but it, it trained me really well on how to understand advertising and, and being an advertising media planner. Uh, after a year there, I was told by my department head that I just am destined for sales. And I lucked out. It just so happened that IDG, um, the company that I did a lot of business with on the B2B side, had a B2C mag- magazine called GamePro, which I read as a kid. Yes. And they were like, you should come sell ads here. And I was like... I, I could do that. Like, you'll pay me to do that. Like, you'll pay me to tell people to buy ads in my favorite magazine. Like, this is amazing. Let's do this. So I started at GamePro. I worked there. I got there my first day and my boss quit. And so after two weeks, I took over a sales territory with zero sales experience, which was great. Um, it was a tremendous learning experience. I had some really great successes, some really embarrassing faults. Um, but it gave me an opportunity to do one really special thing. And that was actually create a relationship between GamePro and 7-Eleven, where actually GamePro produced an in-store buying guide for 7-Eleven because 7-Eleven decided that they were going to put $60 video games in their stores. Mm. The most expensive item before that was yeah. like a 30 rack of Keystone for like $19.99. And then there's like $60 video games. So we had to help them do that. So I, I did that one thing and then GamePro went belly up. So I'm out of a job and I ended up talking with one of my clients and I said, listen, like I love gaming. I want to stay in gaming. I think I'm okay at sales. So like what else should I do? And I actually interviewed with EA and I interviewed with this random media company called Curse. <laughs> and the guys at Curse were like, we'll give you a regional manager position. We'll pay you all this commission. And, you know, assuming you can sell, like come on over and do it. And EA was like, cool, we'll give you an account, like a sales coordinator position. And honestly, from EA's perspective, like I was barely worth a sales coordinator position at the time. And I, t- I, I said to myself, I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm like 26 years old. Like I want to roll the dice on curse. If there's any point in my time or my career, like why not roll the dice in this random company around World of Warcraft? Was there a team curse at the time or was there no. before that? Okay. So this was like, this was before we didn't know, we didn't even know an MMO champion at the time. Mm-hmm. This was like literally curse.com. And so I came on board and I was there for four months and my, 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 my boss got fired. Again. Again. This is a, this is a general theme in my <laughs> don't, career. Don't hire Nathan. Yeah. Do you don't want me to come work for you because you're, long, you're not long for the earth. Um, what ended up happening was the CEO actually came to me and was like, I noticed on your annual review, which I filled out after three months because that's just the annual cycle. I said, I see you want to, you want to move up. Yeah. Who doesn't want to yeah. move up at their company? Sure. He goes, Great. You're in charge of the sales team. Go sell. And so that was me. And they had cleaned out kind of a lot of the sales team, um, ironically, including uh, Jack Etienne, oh, who wow. obviously wow. Has, has gone on to much better things. <laughs> um, and uh, they kind of had this clean sweep. And ironically, uh, I get put in charge of the sales team of literally three people. And over the next six years, we actually built the team into a group of 27 people, six different cities across the globe. Um, You know, we increased revenue almost 10x, which was awesome. Like, again, I got an amazing opportunity to succeed and fail, and all of it was welcomed within the space. Uh, But one of the really fun things that we got to do was we started an esports team. (laughs) And what's funny about it is we started an esports team. And the guy that we hired to run esports yeah. is Steve R. Hansen. Yep, yep, yep. This, this, 
and I remember the conversations that I had with the CEO at the time when I'm like, this dude, I was like, he's a, he's a, he's a management consultant at like McKinnon or, um, he's a management consultant. He's a management consultant at some random firm. Like, give me a break. This is our head of esports. Wow. Come on, like there's no way. And you know our CEO, French guy, is like, oh, he likes esports. And I'm like, all right. And that was when I met Steve R. Hansen. Fascinating. Wow. And 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 oh man, like so we had NY Jackie, we had Saint Vicious, we had Elements who we brought in and we bought his website and repped his website and had him on our team. Cop David Robinson, who still is in the space. Uh, just we had the greatest group of people. And this was this was eight years ago. Like, wow. oh man. And it was just so funny because I remember going to the Logitechs of the world and the alienwares of the world and being like, listen, these guys are gonna play with your product, and you are going to pay them to do that. And it was like, yeah, nah, <laughs> nah. If you want our product, we'll be happy to give you our product. But like, we don't understand why we would need to pay you to rep our products. That's just crazy talk. Now, five years later, you know, these teams are signing massive deals with Endemic Hardware to rep their brands. Um, but it was just so interesting to be in that space at that time, to meet those people, to go down and, and have the just, we were just making it up as we went along. We were talking with brands. We had to deal with Nissan. Yeah, we, we, we drove an, like an incredible program for them where they had this program for the Nissan Leaf. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't get anyone to enter the contest because the contest required you to literally go to the website download this like art kit, print it out, cut it out, fold it up, and then shoot a vine and then upload that vine to Twitter. And like the guys from the marketing team came to us and they were like, we don't have a lot of people who have actually submitted (laughs) things for this. Whatever you guys can do would be awesome. All right. And so we basically went through and we took our team and we had the guys each show everyone how to do it on their Twitch live stream and they did it. And I'm going to just use hypothetical numbers, but let's say hypothetically they had 20 entrants prior to Team Curse working with them. They finished with 200 additional ones. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, esports. This has got some, this has got some goodness. And I think that is where we had some great successes in the space, um, where we really made a name for ourselves. Um, but man, like we just always finished fourth. And that was the joke. It's still the joke. Team Liquid still <laughs> Which is funny because what happened when I was at Curse, when I left, uh, right before I left, we actually sold the team to, to Steve. Yep. And he then took it and merged with Victor and created this mega organization that we know as Team Liquid now. Um, and, oh, man, like those were just such great days. But they've literally taken that curse of Forever Fourth and, and just run with it. And, it's again, it's, it's so much fun to, to have those stories and to, to reminisce on those things. Um, 
but that's just kind of, you know, and again, the roundabout way that I ended up at, at, at Twitch was literally, I, you know, I was ahead of sales for six years at Curse and we sold our esports team and we focused on Curse Voice technology, mm-hmm. yes, which ironically, a year after I left Curse, uh, Twitch acquired Curse <laughs> for that technology. Um, but that's the the roundabout story. Like I, you know, Andy Swanson, who is no longer at Twitch, he's over like at Discord. Discord. Yeah. He's an awesome guy, a, a great mentor in the space, the original esport evangelist, as I like to call him. Uh, Andy, man, you know, he called me up and he said, "I want you on my team. We're going to build sponsorships at Twitch. We've got a huge opportunity with media, but there's more money out there." And we're going to crush it with sponsorships. And I don't know exactly how, but I know a guy like you would be great. So let's do it. And I said to my wife, I said, these guys are owned by Amazon. So it can't be that bad. Uh, and, and just jumped in. And, and I've been there now, you know, a little, almost three years and have just really enjoyed the challenge of taking esports from a, hey, y'all, let's talk about it. Give me a 101 to... I'm ready to make big investments. I'm ready to seal the deal and I'm ready to move forward. It's just been awesome. And to be a part of it has just been very life altering. That I mean, just to be honest, like we I've heard quite a lot of backgrounds here and most of them um, are, are similar to mine in the sense where it's like, you know, like I was working in X and then I re- and then I finally realized, oh, there's this thing called esports <laughs> and like I want to dedicate my life to this. That's basically the story. But like it's just fascinating to hear a perspective that's like, no, I was working in this before yeah. and uh, I, I didn't even know if it was so, like something that ca- you can even dedicate your life. Like, like there, there was nothing and, and we built it from the ground up. I think that's extremely valuable. And, and as I mentioned to you before that we started recording, I mean, often when you get, get handed the mic, you have to talk about like, your more recent accomplishment. But I think... For for our audience, you know that that's more esports focus is as valuable because because um, if you don't if you don't appreciate the if you don't appreciate the actual travel like to get to the point where where we're at right now you're bound to make mistakes that 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 people like you made in the past but that that caused you to grow um, so that's that's incredible I mean that, that I was feel really awesome. I feel a a very strong um, responsibility mm-hmm. to support other people in this space. I have been very fortunate in my career. I have made a ton of mistakes. I have done very, very uh, good things, very, very not so amazing things. Uh, but I have been fortunate to have great people around me, great supporters. And I feel very strongly about helping and giving that back. Uh, I can't help everyone's esport dream become a reality, but man, I'll tell you, I get no f- more satisfaction than when someone gets a job, when someone gets an, an interview, when someone gets an internship. Um, you know, I, I, it just warms my heart. You know, I do I do a lot of events not because I enjoy speaking on a stage, which I do, <laughs> but I you know I do a lot of college events because I just want to encourage collegiate people to not go down the tried and true route of like, it's all about ticket sales. Yep. And I want, or it's about event staff. It's like, there's a world of esports out there that's looking for people to disrupt it, to fix it, to help create new solutions. And I, if you want my feedback on your idea, the least I can do 
is give you that. Because you know what? The reality is, and this is the same with you too, Maurice. Not yep. to, you know, I'm not a, an ass kisser here, but like these people are going to hire me at some point. Like these are the people that are going to create something amazing and be like, wow, I should probably hire that that old fogey over there, that old goat. Ah. You know, from esports, you know, to to give him some 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 feedback, and he did help me one time. But again, I I feel a tremendous amount of responsibility. I think a lot of people, good people in the industry, feel the same way that like we've got a tremendous opportunity. We get to work and and, and live in an industry that is exciting, that is in demand, that is growing, that is full of mistakes yep. and not catastrophic mistakes. Um, and so, yeah, I want more people to be a part of that. I want more people to take an interest in that. And I want to see those things happen in the space. And if by my, you know, me telling my story of the weird, drunken way that I ended up in this space, great. Like to me, I want people to be inspired. And maybe they're not inspired by my story. Maybe they're more inspired by my pants, which – by the way, are very mediocre today. Yes, and I apologize for that. That is a huge fault on mine. But again, those things are a part of the fun. Esports is fun. And I just think that from a, from a macro level perspective, if you, myself, the great people in this space can just remind people that we live in an industry that is fun, that is about having a good time, but getting work done, man, we could really create the greatest industry to yes. work in in the entire world. And it will truly be a global business. And that's what gets me excited every single day, not just the fine craft that you pour <laughs> at the, uh, the Boom Podcast. And then not to, not to, not to ask is you, but before we get into, the, into the, the kind of a next topic, but I, I, I cannot thank you personally because – you know, as, as I was learning the ropes of, of the industry, and I still have so much to learn, but as I was learning the, like the, the, the things that I now consider as like basic knowledge, a lot of people um, wouldn't be honest with me. And what, one of the things that I appreciate from you, which is why I'm so happy to have you on a podcast and, and have seen throughout this whole conversation right now, is you've been always have been honest with me. And I think that's immensely valuable. And even when you talk on stages, Right when you talk in, on panels, you tend to be like there are a lot of people who obviously it's in their own benefit to to hype up the industry. Totally. Um, but one of the things I, I really appreciate about you is your pure honesty, uh, your criticisms were necessary uh, and your praise when due. Um, so in order to get kind of literally two more things I want to talk about. So one is general sponsorship and then we'll talk about the we'll end up with the RLCS because I think I, that's something you have been very involved in. So when we talk about general sponsorship in esports, um, talk a little bit about the evolution uh, that sponsorship in esports has made over the past and where you see it going um, in, the, in the future. Well, I'll tell you, the first thing that we have benefited from is by having smart people come into it. So, you know, I, I've looked at the folks across, you know, the aisle for me in terms of those who are um, also creating products and leagues and teams and stuff like that. And it's great to see really talented sports people coming into esports and bringing that understanding and that topics and that, that, that knowledge base that we just don't have in esports. Like, again, we have sometimes succeeded just by utter failure. Like it has just been something where, you know, this sounds good. Let's do it. Uh, and that has been good and bad, but having those people in the space has been immensely valuable. Uh, I can tell you firsthand 
the last three years have been a definitive difference in terms of the meetings that I have, the conversations that I have, the discussion topics. We are moving into a great time in esports where people are done sitting on the sidelines. For too long, I go to these meetings and it'd be like, hey, I just need a one-on-one. Just make me smart enough so that my client just blurts out, oh God, esports. I have an answer of why we're not doing it, which is not a particularly fun (laughs) task to be giving. Um, With that said, over the last three years, we've been able to prove out some incredible case studies. ExxonMobil with Rocket League, T-Mobile with the Esports Arena at E3, you know, H1Z1 at TwitchCon. Like, we have been able to showcase non-endemic brands, EG and Xfinity. Yes. We're able to show not only deals, but repeat deals. And I can't harp on repeat deals enough because that to me shows not only a successfully executed deal, but a correctly priced deal. <laughs> I mean, everyone everyone loves that initial press release, right? When when every every endemic esports publication picks up, oh, ExxonMobil is sponsoring their RLCS. That's beautiful. So that's an immense value just before even even the the thing starts. But it's about the repeat deals to be able to convince them that this investment is good and you mm-hmm. want to continue it. That's that's so valuable. And again, a lot of people when I we talk about Overwatch League mm-hmm. and the success of Overwatch League. The success of Overwatch League is determined in week four, when it's not the hypest of hype, when it's not the biggest of big. It's just the week four matchups, you know, and and they've done well with that. Mm -hmm. Another sign of success will be their repeat customers. You know, does T-Mobile come back? Does Mondelez come back? You know, I know the guys at MLG. They're smart guys. They're creating great deals. So I'm not worried about that. That to me is the difference right now in esports is that the more repeat deals that we continue to curate, the better off we're going to be. The one and dones do nothing for our business. And I think that's something that people forget is that they're so quick to want to get that client on board, to get that client into esports so that Manny Onical will cover them. And Manny is the man. But a year later, are they still there? Exactly. Are they still having a positive experience? Mm-hmm. Because if they're not, we've just made an enemy when we didn't need to. So for me, the evolution of sponsorship has changed from why to how. And that's been a big difference. And I think it's an important difference. And we're constantly trying to reevaluate work with business partners, figuring out what they need from esports, and then figuring out what esports needs from them. And I think when you look at that, sponsorships is a collaborative business. Media buying, it's a little bit more programmatic, right? It's like, I need this many impressions, I need this CPM, like, let's be strategic. But that's about the end of it. When you're talking about sharing of IP and, 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 and promotion and marketing and you get into a much more deep relationship that I think is not easily done overnight. But I do think that the needle has moved. The industry has moved from a, well, we should just kind of see how it goes to we have got to make a move and we've got to start executing on this. And again, it might be a small deal. It might be a big deal, but it is something that brands are looking at this space and they're going, all right, 
the case studies have been proven. We got to get in. We got to do our thing. And that's a big difference from, I don't know what this is, but my boss needs to know what it is. So I think from that perspective, we're going to see some great opportunities. I think we're starting to see some great wars kind of bubbling up. You're seeing Geico versus State Farm. Yes. You know, like we've got T-Mobile. Like I'm just waiting for Verizon, AT&T to just go in and just just fight it out. Like that's great for the industry. It's great for everybody involved. And honestly, with the right people selling, which we've done a great job at, it's great for the fans because it means better things, higher accountability. It means more dedication to, we talked about back in the beginning, care. Yes. And, and I, so what, what, what will it, at the end of the day, what will it add to the fans? Like what, what is, what is it going to add to their experience? Exactly. And, and so we're at that point now where we're moving away from, is this a thing to what do I do with this thing? How do I attack this thing? What's my tactical strategy? And honestly, as someone who has sat through and had to listen to people continue to tell me why they're not ready for esports. For those people to finally change their tune and be like, boy, man, we're ready. How do we figure this out? Let's go. It's great. It's long overdue, but it is great. And, you know, when I got into this job, I said to myself, this is going to be a marathon and not a sprint. And it has lived up to that hype and expectation But we're getting to a point now where brands are really trying to be tactical and really get involved in esports. And I think that we're going to start to see a glut at the top, which means the next levels are going to start to really fill in. So independent third-party leagues, grassroots leagues, minor leagues, all of that stuff, team sponsorship deals – The Overwatch League is going to be closed for business in a lot of categories. That's great. That means that those other category competitors have to find other places to be. That means team deals. That means other events. That means other leagues. All of it is good for the space. All of it proves out the fact that it's going to be a huge growth industry. Um, And I think as we move forward for the next two years... This is the time that we all got excited about. This is the time that we all go, oh, man, this is coming. The glut is coming. The opportunity is coming. With that said, this goes out to everyone listening. You get one shot. Yep. That's the thing. You're making a great impression. Like it's either you, either you, either you do it or, or, you get, or you become a meme. And here's the thing. Twitch can't get every deal. So we are going to rely on every other person who sells esports to hold themselves up to that same standard. E-League, Universal Open, TSM, Optic, whoever it is, they're going to be the stewards just like Twitch is. And they're going to have to step up and deliver for clients exceptional programs that create more value, and more opportunity than what we are currently getting from traditional sports. And if we can do that, the industry's ours. If we can't do that, then we're gonna have a fight on our hands. Yeah. Just to end up, um, so we've talked about your, your journey and, and, and general sponsorship strategies in esports. 
But I want to highlight kind of one success story, not only from a sponsorship perspective, but also from a general esports perspective. And that, that really is Rocket League. And I know you've been very much involved with the sponsorship sales perspective of it. I know Twitch has been very involved. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, as a, as a kind of a treat for, for, for our listeners, um, just to walk us through the story of the, of, of the growth of the RLCS and, and where it used to be and, and, and the great point it is right now. I feel like a dad talking about his kid. It, it, it is, it's such a great story. You know, Rocket League came on the scene. It was a revival of an old PS2 game. Um, and it just came on the scene and it just crushed. And I remember coming on board at Twitch and talking with the great Nick Allen and the great Justin Delario. And we, you know, we got in a room and we were like, let's build an eSport for this. And they were like, Nathan, can we monetize it? I was like, I don't know, guys. Like, you don't have any numbers associated with the league. You just have Rocket League Championship Series. So I'm going to go out in the marketplace and I'm going to sell sponsorships with no guaranteed impressions. And they were like, yeah, that's about it. All right. YOLO. And I'll tell you, man, we we were very fortunate um, because we had brands who looked at it and said, I don't care. We'll get involved. Um, and, and having you know brands like Razor get involved from day one, um, brands like um, SteelSeries get involved immediately was just <clears throat> really inspirational. NZXT kicking us money right at the start. Just like, we love it, we're in. Um, the biggest one, obviously, was ExxonMobil. Like their agency, IPG Media Labs, came to us and were like, "We believe," mm-hmm. and they signed a contract with zero guaranteed impressions. I mean, they still believe. They're still, they're still, they were sponsoring their last series. Yeah, they've been, they've been an amazing partner, um, and <laughs> I, I, I can't believe we were able to convince them to sponsor the league with. No guaranteed impressions, but they did. And uh, hats off to Psyonix. They make an amazing game, and that is what has literally propelled Rocket League to success has been the fact that they have been an amazing developer, a great partner. They've listened to us. They've challenged us. We have built Rocket League into this event. I remember the first event we did. It was in Los Angeles, season one. It was in a nightclub. We had to be out by 9 p.m. because they had a nightclub that night. <laughs> we couldn't afford to like, you know, take out the whole night. So we had to get out of there by 9 o'clock. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget standing there with Justin and Nick and uh, Justin Wong. And we peaked at over 85,000 concurrence for the live finals. And we just, our minds were blown. And we literally sat there and I said to those guys, I was like, there's something here. Like, I'm not, I don't know what it is, but it just fits. So let's keep doing this. And we've been very fortunate. Last year we had Brisk, we had 7-Eleven, we had MGM Resorts come in. Uh, We've had Old Spice, Mobile One has been back for a second year. 
Um, you know, we've just been able to bring NZXT back. We've been able to bring uh, Vertigear in as a partner. Mm-hmm. BenQ has been a partner. I, the league has just been a huge success. The fans love it. Um, and we've done a lot of really cool stuff to kind of push Rocket League forward. I mean, it's just a brand-friendly game. It's yes. it's three-on-three RC cars playing soccer. And honestly, you know, I love the fact. I know Michael Prindeville was on the show last mm-hmm. week. The Universal Open is a great brand extension for the RLCS. Absolutely. NBC does a nice job with it. Uh, we just love the fact that that sport is growing and people are excited about it. E-League did something with it last year, which was awesome. Uh, so we just we feel really good. We've got a couple of big new sponsors locked in. Most of our sponsors will be back. That, to me, is the success of Rocket League. You know, again, we, we don't have a, a partnership deal signed yet with, with all of our partners, but you know, if we can have Mobile One back for three consecutive years, I'll feel really good about Rocket League and its success. Uh, and I think that's that's what esports needs to strive to. It's not about always getting the new deal. It's about making sure that the partners that started with you, that believed in you, that signed an IO with zero guaranteed impressions, yeah. can't stress that enough, um, are still there and are still working with you to build out to me, what is one of the most fun, one of the most interesting, and could be potentially one of the most mainstream esports in the entire world. And that, to me, is, is where we are with Rocket League. And, you know, again, the new season starts March 9th. Um, we are very excited about bringing that to, to, to the Twitch audience um, and continuing to see the, just the tremendous growth. I think one of my biggest other excitements is the fact that so many team owners – talked to me over a year ago. And they were like, yeah, I might get in a Rocket League. Maybe. We'll see. And now there's poaching and there's just a hard – I mean, there is just a super aggressive marketplace right now for Rocket League talent. And, I mean, to me, that's the best. We built something. We built it with a tremendous partner in Psionics. And we have proven out the fact that with great – foresight with a great schedule with an awesome ip you can build esports from the ground up from the community up and you can do it successfully and rocket league to me is is the case study in that i mean i i i mean this is kind of a a a through line throughout the conversation but i have to agree with you i was privileged enough to be able to attend the last finals Mm -hmm. in washington dc and it was it was amazing. The venue was, I think, the perfect size. But most importantly, because of the mainstream, because it's soccer with cars at the end of the day, the audience was involved throughout. Even the, the moms and dads that were visiting, they screamed when a goal was scored because it's so easy to understand. You don't need to understand the meta. You don't need to understand the, the depth of the game. Uh, so that was incredible. So... As we end the end of our conversation, um, it's pretty clear when people can follow Twitch. But where can people follow you? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, honestly, you're only going to get pants, memes, and <laughs> other sorts of, of, of mediocre content. But I am uh, I am pre Oprah on Twitter. Very proud of that. Uh, at the real Nate is uh, is my Twitter handle. Uh, Nathan A Lindbergh on LinkedIn. Happy to connect with people, happy to talk about esports, happy to, to kind of push those industries forward. 
I'm at a lot of conferences. I love the opportunity to talk to people. So please, like, if you're at a conference, if you're not, I'm happy to connect. I'm based out of New York City. So please feel free to reach out. Um, I think esports is only going to get built by great people investing their time and effort and making it successful. So I am going to make a pledge to connect with as many people as I can, to help as many people as I can. Um, so if you have an idea or you just want to catch up, please you know, reach out. Um, and if you just want to talk about exceptional trousers, uh, we can do that too. I am, I am well-versed uh, at exceptional trousers. Shout out to Loudmouth, my uh, unofficial partner on that. Um, but uh, yeah, that's how I, that's how we get a hold of me. So this was an incredible episode. Thank you so much, Nathan, for coming on, and uh, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll be here next week.